making money through a business is extremely risky. Unfortunately, I've seen a number of people go under and they're losing everything through bad decisions or lawsuit or customer goes under, they've got a massive debt to the ATO. You come across some situations where you go like, well, what happened here? Where was the advice? Where were the accountants? You invited us to come up to the Bend, Roseport Park, and then I'll never forget it. Me and Steve drove home depressed <laughs> happy for you but depressed but yeah and then we're like looking at this brand new red ferrari getting flogged around the bend and we're thinking jeez i wonder who's got that that's pretty awesome we were standing on the pit wall and you rolled into the pit lane driving this ferrari and me and steve were just like why is he driving this ferrari they're like he stole it. and who owns this ferrari? and the brakes are just the brakes are on fire they're like literally you get out in your race suit and you like your friggin mark winterbottom or shane van gisbergen and we're just like, what the fuck's just happened in the last, like, where, what? Yeah, I think some of the situations I've had recently, you know, you just go into a spin and then a week later, it's all kind of, the truth actually comes out. I was like, why did I waste so much mental energy on this? Oh, why did I buy into what I heard? Yes. Frank, I'm I think it's PTSD after, like, trying to, you know, you're trying to scale up a business over all the years. You just end up, like, kind of jaded. Yeah. Where you're just like, oh, I can't handle any more of these battles. <laughs> I'm a bit broken. I just, oh, no, no, no. I just need a cuddle. <laughs> <laughs>
that's a good lesson to start off the bat. Well, I'll start, mate. Um, can you maybe just start with a bit of your background for, for people? So, you know, after school, you started at uni. Maybe we could start from uni. Is that all right? From uni? Yeah. Okay. I was always really good with numbers. It was either engineering or finance for me. So I mm. chose the numbers side of things because I was always kind of interested in terms of how businesses function, what was actually going on behind the scenes because I had a big interest in shares and stock mar- uh, and the stock market. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to understand, like, why the hell, like, how does the how does the balance sheet work? How does the P and L work? So I thought, you know what, like, accountancy is going to be the best degree because I couldn't get a job as a stockbroker, or like, there weren't any jobs in Adelaide as a stockbroker. I'd have to move to Sydney or Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So I just went down the natural path that was kind of like going to get me the knowledge that I needed, but also get employment at the end of the day. Yeah. So you studied accounting and then what, what happened after that when you completed the uni? Uh, uh, got an undergrad uh, position with William Buck, um, re- really good firm, uh, mid-tier firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, jump chipped. Uh, well, essentially started working whilst I was still studying and you suddenly realise that what you're being taught in the uni degree doesn't actually... I realised that it didn't really apply to the day-to-day of what you actually need to do. So there was a, I learned a lot throughout that journey, and they they had a lot of training going on for for their staff, mm. and it was a, it was a great experience um, to to kind of work in a in a decent firm that to kind of upskilled you as as you were kind of trying yeah. to mature. Yeah, and then you started National Accounts. When was that? Nah, there was a bit of a journey, a Come bit on. of a journey. So journey. Uh, I kind of became the like the secondi uh, specialist that where they would send me out as financial controller, finance manager when uh, one of their clients lost uh, their internal uh, kind of staff member. Mm-hmm. So whilst they were trying to recruit, you know, that they reached out to us, they would send me. So I just hit the ground running, running a finance team and trying to clean up their figures and run their operations whilst they were trying to look for a permanent replacement. Um, so that went on for a number of years. I got kind of bounced around to a number of different organisations. Uh, probably, I think I spent about nine months at BAE Systems, uh, putting together their Australasian accounts to feed into uh, the global entity because uh, they're listed in London, uh, which yeah took ages. The 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 numbers were crazy. Yeah, uh, but it was a really cool experience. Uh, then I got. Uh, uh, then I got sent off to another client called Osmoflow. They were Australia's largest desalination plant manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So I was I was kind of there from when the company was doing about twenty five million to about one hundred and fifty million. Um, so it was yeah, it was a really cool journey. Uh, at, you know, throughout that period, I ended up jumping ship from um, William Buck to Osmoflow directly because I was just. I was driving out every single day. Like mm. it was, you know, a six-week engagement turned into six months and I'm kind of like, well, okay, I should probably just get employed directly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... And then I did that for about five years. Uh, it got a little bit political and I just wanted to do something where I was kind of helping people and, you know, just getting my hands dirty mm. uh, rather than playing politics within a larger organisation. So yeah. kicked off an accounting firm. And what year, what year was that? Uh, 2009, 2010. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you, how old were you then? 20s? No. Uh, yeah. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Mid 20s. Probably what? 25. Yep. Yeah. 26. And what sort of what sort of people do you work with right at the moment? Like what sort of companies and people is generally your clientele? Mainly business owners uh, and entrepreneurs. So people which have stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of started out doing I returns, uh, it, it, like income tax returns. Where when I was younger, uh, built out a pretty good website, and there were plenty of leads coming through on that side. When you know, in the early days, and then I, it kind of all evolved as my knowledge improved and mm. um, my networks improved. It's now kind of shifted to be more, you know, the, the more technical, more specialist in terms of. Um, you know, trying to help business owners navigate, uh, you know, their personal lives, their wealth strategies, what they're doing within their businesses so that it's optimised for tax. Mm-hmm. You seem to strike, well, you know, I know you pretty well, but you seem to be a type of bloke who definitely, would you say you push the push the envelope in regards to the accounting 
you know, because you, you, like, you have these structures and stuff that you can come up with where most people will be like, even other accountants are just like, what, what the fuck is that? You know, so is that pushing the envelope or is that no, just, just better educated? Or we'll Just better educated. There's nothing like special going on. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's better educated and trying to make sure those structures fit for purpose for that person's situation and what they're doing within their business. Um, you know, unfortunately, I've seen a number of people go under over the years and helped them throughout that process where, you know, they're losing everything and through bad decisions or lawsuit or customer goes under and, you know, they've got a massive debt to the ATO, you mm. know, and then they're being dragged in or like they're going under as part of the process yeah. and their structures are terrible. Uh, there's no sophistication around it. There's no asset protection strategies like they haven't segregated their operating businesses from their assets, from their wealth creation, you know, homes and investment properties are in their personal names. It's You come across some situations where you go like, whoa, what happened here? Mm. Where was the advice? Where were the accountants? Where mm. didn't they want to look at the situation and the risk profile of what they're doing? You know, construction's quite risky. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not one of those industries where, you know, if you're married and you've got a house that you actually want to be on the title. You know, yeah. That should probably be in your partner's name so that it's segregated from you being a director of an operating entity which carries a lot of risk. Mm. You know, so you think about some of the contracts that people carry, if you don't get paid or you get slapped with liquidated damages mm. and it starts to get a little bit hairy, you know, yeah. what's, what's the structure behind you to try and at least, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that uh, it's going to like avoid paying creditors, but it's like, what's the structure which will at least stop the stop the damage? Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the questions I was going to ask you down the track. But like, you see, it's bloody important. Like, for there's a lot of guys who've gone out on their own, starting off on their own, to get like these a lot of these like they do build over time. But yep. to start, you know, can, do you have any advice around those? People who, you know, everyone wants to start off as a sole trader. But mm. like, yeah, it's the simplest like, structure. Yeah. Uh, and I do recommend like when most people kick off, kick off with a sole trader business. There's there's legislation which allows you to roll that business into a structure uh, without paying any capital gains. That legislation has been around for probably about four or five years now. Mm -hmm. um, but it is the simpler and cheaper structure to operate. Once you hit a particular turnover for GST, purposes at 75,000 but then probably from a tax perspective you'd probably go like if you're making more than $120,000 profit mm -hmm. you know you may want to then start looking at you know operating through a company structure then you start to get a little bit more sophisticated where you might have an asset entity and you, you know as things grow and as things get a little bit bigger yeah. you know all mm. the advice starts to evolve and change it's, yeah it's not always out of the box, but it's kind of just being aware of what people are doing, what their intentions are. And, you know, some people might be a little bit more successful operating that business uh, versus others. You know, mm. it's like trying to grow a business in, in a, you know, in, around construction and trades. Yeah. It, it's not easy. There's a, there's a, like, there's a growth profile where you kind of jump, jump out and you're kind of a one man band. Then you start to get apprentices and other people working for you, then mm. it starts to kind of get into like no man's land where scale costs money. Yep, yep. And that's, you know, when do you it hire does. that admin person? When do you go out and get uh, a, you know, commercial warehouse? Or when do you start to do all those sorts mm. of things? And how does that look? Yep. And how, how does your risk profile look as part of that journey? I want to jump back to something in a minute, but while mm. we're on this, the, I, have a, I have a lot of people who hit me up about like, um, they want to go into partnership with their mate. Mm -hmm. What is your, um, you know, historical evidence with like partnerships succeeding versus not succeeding? Because the way I understand is like a lot of people want to go into a partnership that's 50-50 mm -hmm. and then you're like, well, who, who, who can make a decision? If one person wants one thing and the other person wants another, yep. there's no way that you can make like a legal decision because you both have literally... One there's two shares of the company. One has one share, the other has the other share. Yep. Do you is what is your thoughts on partnerships? 
Yeah. Pers true. Personal experience says I do not recommend it. Uh, I've been a few different accounting partnerships and different business partnerships, and it's they've been challenging and uh, they haven't worked out well in the past for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, from an advice perspective, what I would say is there's a there's quite a there's a really good book which I recommend people read called Slicing the Pie, mm -hmm. and it's about how to kind of uh, how to how to split up the profits or recognize the efforts, capital, uh, the people are putting in and to try and get something which is actually going to be relatively fair within a, a framework which people can understand and agree to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely recommend Slicing the pie. Yeah, it's mm. a great book. Mm. Uh, really easy read. It's not, it's not heavy reading. Yeah, uh, but the concepts in that uh, are great for being able to kind of go like, well, you know, if somebody needs to put in X amount of cash, well, they're going to get a return by a, a return out of the business based on this. Yeah, if somebody needs to put in X amount of hours every week, well, they'll get rewarded like that. And this is how we're going to try and divvy up the profits. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a different way of looking at it. Uh, rather than a traditional like 50-50 split. It's actually trying to recognise the efforts which are going in, the capital which is going in, the knowledge and the experience yeah. uh, that goes into the uh, into a new venture. And uh, it's yeah. been very well written. Okay. Because, yeah, I, got, I think maybe the, the partnerships thing tends to be almost like the easy way yeah. out and to start and they just think, like, oh, I've got a mate who's a plumber as well and, you know, we're going to go 50-50, everything's going to be fine. And then, you know, when you go along and you just speak over the years, like, you know, I speak, we, I spoke to that lawyer the other day about mm -hmm. stuff we're setting up yep. and he's like literally specializes in, or essentially one of the things he specializes in, he was saying is that he specializes in setting up these structures and asking people the questions yep. when they like each other. And that was yes. the way he literally put it to me. He's like, I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of really strange questions. You're not going to know where I'm going with them, but I'm asking these questions while you and your partner actually like each other because yeah. I can't ask you this stuff After. when you don't like each other anymore. Yeah, it's a you know? divorce agreement. That's yeah. what, what you're trying to get set up for in terms of when you, if you go into a partnership or, you know, whatever structure it might be, but your or shareholders agreement, mm -hmm. it's literally supposed to be more of a divorce agreement because you're only really going to refer to the paperwork when things are going really badly. Yeah. If everything's going really well and everyone's making money and everyone's happy, that's when everything's just, everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. But when things get tough, that's when you start to see the true character of other people. Yeah. And yeah, I, Definitely recommend that people go see a professional if they're going to enter into a partnership um, to try and get the terms as to how they're going to extract themselves out of the partnership right mm. first because, mm -hmm. you know, dividing up a lot of cash is easy. Mm. And most people at the start, from my experience, just can't see, for, you know, more than six months into the future so they don't understand that there's a pretty good likelihood that something that we're going to have a disagreement at some point. They're just like, nah, it's my best mate. We've been best mates forever. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but oh, the writing's on the wall, man. Maybe just, just get it sorted out now while you like each other. Yeah, but you your know. mate's partner might not like you. So then that'll create a tension. Mm. You, 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 they might have a health issue. What are you going to do about that when they suddenly drop out of the business for a few months? Yeah. Like there's, there's particular things which will happen and you need to be prepared for life to hit a business mm. uh, you know it's all yeah. crazy that we pretend as if everything's linear and it's going to keep going yeah but you know uh, life isn't like that and essentially that's like you know it is and it i think what probably puts people off doing those sort of agreements at the start is like yes it's a five thousand dollar investment or whatever and it hurts at the start but man it could save you like <laughs> so much more down the track because you got one chance to do it really and yeah. it's at the start I've lost a lot of money in uh, in some of these uh, ventures, and uh, yeah, I'm very gun shy to enter anymore. Yeah, can we actually? I, I wanted to, we spoke about this was cool to talk about, but mm. um, you got a really I just got a really interesting story, and I'd like to give it a bit of a background because from what I know, and then maybe you could um, elaborate on it. But um, I'll never forget the time when me and my other mate Steve. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We came. Yes. It's uh, was it, it must have been just before COVID, and yep. we we knew you were doing really well because, and we'll talk about the other stuff that you're into in a minute. Hmm. 
but you invited us to come up to the Bend Motorsport Park and we were like, all right, sweet. Yeah, we know he's got a track car. You know, you had a, a Lancer, which was pretty cool. Still got it. Still got it? Yep. Yeah. And we were like, all right, sweet. We're going to see him drive around the Lancer. And then I'll never forget it because me and Steve drove home and depressed. <laughs> Happy for you, but depressed. But yeah. And then we're like looking at this brand new red Ferrari getting flogged around the bend and we're thinking, geez, I wonder who's got that. That's pretty awesome. And then you, we were standing on the pit wall and you rolled into the pit lane <laughs> driving this Ferrari and me and Steve were just like, why is he driving this Ferrari? They're like, he stole it. And who owns this Ferrari? And the brakes are just... The brakes are on this, fire. Yeah. They're like literally smoking. <laughs> and some dude gets in the car. Your mu this guy who I found out is your mate. Mm. He takes the car off you. You get out in your race suit and you're like, you're frigging Mark Winterbottom mm. or Shane Van Gisbergen. And then you hop in another car that he's prepared for you and you take off again. And then we're just like, what the fuck's just happened in the last, like, <laughs> what, what, yeah, so can you maybe, I'd love, it's a really good le story and it's just got some good lessons in it. So I want to see if you could maybe touch on the other thing that you're passionate about, which is the trading mm -hmm. and then that period of your life, which was really cool. Yeah, I was doing a lot of options and share trading at the time. So yeah, it was at the time, yeah. that's the key part. I got absolutely flogged during COVID and lost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, but before that, it was, yeah, it was just kind of silly money. Um, but the analogy which comes up when you're kind of doing options trading and you're selling a lot of puts and calls is you're kind of picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. all good when it's going well, but when it turns, out, mm -hmm. got, uh, yeah, got absolutely spanked. Yeah, uh, throughout it, but it's still one of my passions. I still do it, um, and I'm still kind of digging my way out of that hole, uh, which it created back in COVID times. Mm. Um, and it's been three years, mm. so I'm still digging, um, but making progress. I've changed my strategies. I've got a developer which is helping me uh, write some really good systems and helping to ident identify opportunities. And I'm still passionate about it. Like mm. it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of it. it, it I don't know what it is. It's kind of it's kind of like gambling. It's glorified gambling, but you try and create an edge, um, and I feel as if I've I've done it probably now for about twenty years that I've got enough of an edge to be able to do this long term without mm -hmm. blowing up. Yeah, um, but it's been stressful along along the journey. Mm. And, yeah. So essentially, you got to a point where. You said silly money, like you were yeah, was just silly killing money. it in, yeah. op in options and that. And, options and land, it was about like 100 grand every month, probably. Yeah. And you probably, were like, like oh. over and over and over. It's just like, wow, this is creating like some major tax liabilities for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> they disappeared that year. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, oh, geez, I've, I've, I've already pushed over a million bucks in profits for within the first seven, eight months of that year. Mm -hmm. So it was just, yeah, it was getting silly. And I'm like, well, I might as well treat myself. Yep. And an opportunity arose where one of my mates was selling uh, their 488 and had about 3,000 clicks on it. I'm like, I could actually turn this into a business. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I might get a dealer's license. I'll have a chat to my mechanic and we'll set up a, a vehicle de dealer business and I'll just buy it in that. Mm -hmm. um, so went down the path, put it all together and I was like, oh, great. You know, I'm just going to keep doing this. Cars are cheap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the market, you know, the market's good. I'll get to, you know, I'll get create a wholesale business on, for cars. Mm -hmm. oh, little <laughs> did I know <laughs> what was about to hit. And so what can you explain what did hit and I guess also what the good lessons are because I think that's, we've spoke about it in length before and it's just really mm. cool to hear, you know, someone who's been through the absolute adrenaline, I suppose, and like the roller coaster ride of just feeling like nothing could ever go wrong yep. and then, you know, Ferraris and all the stuff and the houses and whatever, mm -hmm. and then it sort of unraveling and what you learned along the way. Yeah. 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 The unraveling that was, uh, uh, it happened so fast that it was difficult to fully comprehend what was happening during the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's taken a few years to, uh, of reflecting back on, on what actually transpired to to really comprehend it because uh, there were a lot of emotions involved because you kind of go like, oh, I've got the shiny red thing, um, which, you know, I was looking to to kind of trade any, you know, to, to drive and to sell. Um, and then you kind of go, oh, I'm now a force seller. It's, yeah. It's, I'm not 
selling it based on, oh, I can kind of hold it and sell it on the terms which I want, I'm like, oh, I'm actually now desperate to kind of sell it because it's burning a hole in my pocket from a cash flow perspective. Mm. Um, yeah. Fortunately, I kind of got out of break even, which is great. Um, but then you kind of look at the price of those cars now and you go like, oh, yeah, it's, it's 380. Yeah, 380 to now it's like, well, you can't pick one up for less than 470. Yeah. And like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, if you've got a long enough time frame, you can probably get your way out of most problems. Mm. Um, but if you don't have the, the, the cash flow in a long enough time frame, then you've got problems. Mm. Mm. And, you know, that was, a, that was a powerful lesson throughout that journey. Uh, the other lessons were that uh, you're diversifying your main, like diversifying your investments across different kind of asset classes as well. Because uh, I had pretty much 90% of my wealth um, in options land and share land. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was way lopsided. Yeah. It kind of, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't really be putting it in anything else because the returns are just so good. Mm-hmm. But just because the returns are so good doesn't mean you should be parking all your cash into, into one asset class. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I should have been a lot far, like, you know, I took accounting. I should know, I should have mm-hmm. kind of picked up that I'm, really way too exposed in this um but you know who would have predicted covid what do you think that came down to was it just like a mindset you got into that you couldn't see the wood through the trees because you're a smart bloke and i'm very smart and i'd say were you caught up in some sort of emotional thing where you couldn't see that what you were doing but in hindsight you're like wow that was the dumbest thing ever do you know what i mean what what do you think uh, I think the returns were, were really good. And I thought even if there was a big downturn, uh, I'll still kind of get through it. And I managed yeah. to I managed to save my personal accounts because uh, I managed to put enough protection in just to kind of s- stop it. Um, so it still gave me uh, enough to, to continue to be able to trade and do, do what I enjoy. Uh, but, yeah, not enough of a buffer. I could kind of see that there was a problem in the markets and I was reducing my leverage, but I hadn't reduced it far enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, when you're playing with toxic waste, which is, you know, highly leveraged instruments which can go against you, you need to be really careful. Yeah. And um, I wasn't running proper risk um, protection across uh, my portfolios and, you know, you get bitten. Mm. How did you, in that period, What yeah, I, know you, I know you've had some pretty dark days, as you would, anyone, everyone does, but especially going through that, how did you also concentrate on the business? You know, were you... It was difficult, extremely yeah. difficult. Um, I think the thing that kept me going is like, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy talking about what I do. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and assisting people along that journey. That, that kind of just gets me up every single day. Yeah. Um, you know, if I didn't have a passion for, for that, I should probably be doing something different. Yeah. You just spoke about the... Um, I wanted to ask you this question because it's something that's on my mind it's more of a selfish question as opposed to for other people but um you said about like you know you can get to get too leverage and get all your too many eggs in one basket and i've been you know realizing now from some of the courses i'm doing and people i'm hanging out with them that that is it fair to say that business making money through a business is extremely risky and most people most good operators i know would be usually trying to get to a point where they're actually removing the money out of the business into more mm. stable assets. Like that seems to be the what the good operators do is like they have a business that makes turns over money, but they're also always making sure that they're pulling out of the business and then like putting it into commercial property or what you know, whatever it might be. Is that fair to say that's you know, it, de- it, it depends the, on the stage which you get your business to and how far you want to push it. Mm. Yeah, I talk to business owners all day, every day. And, you know, some of them want to keep growing it and turning into a behemoth in terms of like they want the entire vertical within their industry segment. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Some people want a comfortable lifestyle and it's just a stable cash cow. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. It all depends on people's relationship with money. And everyone's different. So I'm not here to change their relationship with money because that's just way too hard. That's, yeah, you know, however you got brought out is, yeah. is going to be how you're going to kind of function, what your relationship's going to be like with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of need to understand that as a kind of a core drive of how people will behave. 
And once you kind of identify how they look at the world is then, you know, try and enable them to, to be able to, yes, diversify and put into this sort of investments that, that they're going to be comfortable with, that they're yeah. going to be un- able to understand and they're not going to be losing sleep at night. Mm. I think the understanding part's big as well because I've always had like a, I've always wanted to do shares but mm-hmm. just and for no other reason than I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. But it's like I don't, I don't understand shares. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, yeah, it might be a good vehicle. But at the same time, like, yeah, I think it is important that you're putting your money into something you understand. And I more understand like property, like physically looking at it, yep. you know, building it, whatever. Yes. So I think that's an important thing is like I've, I used to get caught up in like wanting to do what was sexy. Yeah. You know. And the other part of, reinvest, you know, for most most business owners, I kind of recommend that they reinvest back into their own business to try and create some more time. Mm. Um, you know, do can you get an admin to help you do all those other aspects which you don't like doing? Yeah. You know, where do you add the most value within a business? It's trying to get the interplay between, you know, are they still passionate about what they're doing? Can they scale it? Can they get it to the stage where they're enjoying their, their baby that they've created from scratch? Mm. Uh, and what does that look like? Do you have a lot of pe- people that you see then you work for and work with that kind of that have this, this the, I think it's a problem everyone has, but I'm sure there's companies that are sort of maybe like a bit um, immune to it because maybe they have huge gross profits or whatever, but the scaling of a business just costs people. That's one of the common misconceptions people don't realise is like when you're growing a business, it's like feeding the beast, man. Like it just costs so much money to scale. Yep. Is There's no way around that, is there? Like, no. <laughs> nope. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> there is no shortcut. But that is, that is what one thing people don't understand is it's like you just burn money build it, like growing a business, isn't it? And at some point, I think that one of the tricky things going back to like people who want to have the whole vertical mm. is that, yeah, at some point you have to get to a point where the business starts re-feeding you back again. Mm. And it's hard to know when like do I just keep pouring all my money into this business and one day in 10 years' time I could have a... Th- 500 employees I don't know it's like you got to, I guess you got to know the end game a bit don't you to know yeah it, it depends what stage you want to scale it to like you could try and scale this to uh, you know 500 people do you really want to do you have the skill set to do it and is you know is that what you ultimately want out of the journey mm. you know you can you can reinvest every single dollar back into it and just keep going um, other you know that is what some people do. Uh, other people prefer just to have a lifestyle, spend more time with their kids, go, go, you know, buy, buy yourself a, a camper van and off you go into the hills. Yeah. It, it you know, everyone's different. Yeah. Um, and everyone approaches it differently. But from what I see, most people don't put enough money back into their business to kind of get that scale. They'll, they'll go for the shiny crypto investment or shares or some other stupid thing. Yeah. Rather than try and get, give themselves more time. Mm-hmm. And I think if people put more money into giving themselves more time, they'll make better decisions and they'll you know, spend more time with family doing things that they actually enjoy rather than spending it at work. That's good advice. That's going to get cut into a clip, that one, Dead <laughs> <laughs> um, Can you, we'll get, I'm going to get shortly on to because I know you don't have all day, but. Um, well, I've just actual... got, to pick up, I've got to pick up my son. Oh, okay, so that's our only thing. All right, this podcast is going to go for another four hours and. Um, <laughs> the, my wife uh, will kill me. <laughs> I got I got a bunch of questions in my phone. I want to hit up from some of the guys, but yes, wait. Um, could you say I know you work with some really good operators in the trade space? Mm-hmm. You know, um, could you? Is it it's probably hard? But could you summarize some of the the commonalities that you see across the guys, especially in the trade space, that run you know really successful operations compared to the people that you see that struggle? Is there anything that's common between those people? Work ethic, boundless energy. They yeah. they have a particular drive. They have a particular worldview that just they get up, they love it, they do it every day, they fight the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't tend to compromise on quality at all. It's energy, quality, and they've built a good team around them and they've motivated that team to help them like achieve the mission. Mm-hmm whatever that mission is and whatever that particular segment is. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's trying to find that, that, that ball inside you, which drives you and you, you're kind of passionate about trying to achieve something that you can do it day in, day out, day in, day out. Yeah. That 
you know, you just grind everybody else to a pulp because yep. you're just going to outwork them. Yeah, that's what people don't like. That's just the thing, isn't it? It's like you can't get around the fact that you just got to work hard, man. Like for a long period, that there is no shortcut. There's no to that. shortcut, is there? Not in this, in like not, not even in this options three sector. Yeah, not even like, options trading. Nope. <laughs> so you got to our grind. It's like you got to our grind people and survive. Mm. And then mm. you know, twenty years later, you might be able to crack the nut and figure out what the hell you're doing. Yeah, yeah. What a, uh, overnight success? <laughs> yeah, not success. Yeah, <laughs> Which has exactly. taken ten years. Exactly. Um, CFOs. I've got a fellow I'm mates with, um, Sam Sam Ackland, and he's got a reasonable size built company called pretty big company called Build Clean. I think he's got over 100 staff. Yes. Yep. And he said one of the things that really changed for him was he got a virtual CFO uh -huh. in the company, which I guess is like the way I understand it. It's like someone from who is it's like a board board director, I suppose. They come in, they give you like totally unbiased mm. advice. I feel like I, I'm, this is another selfish question. This is a podcast mostly about me, just so you know. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. it works well. Um, at what point, like, this is probably a silly question to ask, but at what point do you think that becomes a viable option? Like, because at some point you need someone keeping you accountable, I reckon, outside of the business for your decisions to some point. Or is that dangerous? It's probably more well? of a business, business coach yeah. is probably a bit different. Uh, in terms of accountability, CFO is, you know, chief financial officer. They're there to guide you through the financial landscape of your organisation. Mm -hmm. um, and it depends on what you're trying to do with the organisation and the complexities. You know, just, I just saw a client in, in Melbourne and, you know, great running business, but there's no CFO and they're doing really well, but the financials don't tell a story. Mm -hmm. um, I think what a really good CFO does is help kind of paint the picture using numbers. Yeah. Like that's essentially their job, to help everybody understand what's actually going on in a business mm -hmm. and like push the number, particular numbers, highlight particular numbers so that attention gets drawn into particular problems or opportunities. Yeah. Okay. Well, I might get on to some of the more question, the questions now that I've got from people. Mm -hmm. um, when... Would you, and this is not, for, I'm going to put it at the start of the podcast, this is definitely not financial advice, this is just a general chat between me and you that you can take either way, but we're not financial service providers or we don't pretend to be, so this is not financial no. advice. Book, book, this is actually something that I've been, you know, going through now, as you know, bookkeepers versus accountants. Can you explain what a good bookkeeper does and then how that sort of flows onto the accountant and at what point does it make sense to get a bookkeeper for your business? Bookkeepers are probably somebody which you would see every week, every fortnight, at least once a month to help get you the quality of financial data in your accounting system up to a particular standard. Mm -hmm. uh, an accountant you would probably talk to, you know, once a quarter, half a year or once a year to just have a look over it and kind of put the higher level strategy together. Mm -hmm. Two slightly different beasts yep. and used for different, you know, used to, to deal with different situations. Okay. One thing that was interesting because I had that problem with the, um, you know, I was trying to figure out, I was trying to go through what I could offload. And one of the things I felt mm. like I wanted to offload was paying the bills. Yeah. And then we had that good chat and, and you said something to me that always stuck was one of your friends who owns that massive um, yep. construction company in Adelaide. You were, you were, and he's a very good operator. You said to me that, okay you know, you've seen him sit on a plane, you've been next to him on a plane and he's physically signed off and paid like 300 invoices on the plane. Yep. And I was trying to think about how I can get around paying invoices because it's like one of my, the bane on my existence. But what what could you say? That's very hard to let go of, isn't it, as a, as a business owner. So what would be the normal process around like accounts payable, the best, you know, it, it's a tiered approach, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So that gets prepared by the by the internal finance manager in terms of the entire document, the summary, and everything's provided. So it's all quite transparent in terms mm -hmm. of what's actually getting paid. They've uploaded the file. So in terms of the, into the banking system, so it can be released easily, or each each of the lines which gets ticked can be released easily. And it's kind of like a safety net uh, where it's just that extra little bit of checking because. 
as the business operator, you should really know what's actually going on every single time. You know, you, you should have your finger on the pulse in terms of what's going through mm. the business, unless you've got like a CEO or general manager, which is doing that for you. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of then stepping back and looking at the management reports, which are coming through on a weekly or monthly basis or however often you want to see them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's you kind of got to figure out where you add the most value and where you stop the most um was there any fraud risks or how, how you minimize risks yeah. occurring within a business? So it's mm -hmm. everyone's going to be kind of unique. And I kind of went through a similar exercise where where, did, where and how do I provide the most value in terms of my own organization mm -hmm. and what stuff do I need to get rid of, which I hate doing. Yeah. And yeah. it's a really good exercise to do because then that tells you who you're going to be hiring next. Yeah, that is a good exercise. Mm. Yeah. So just quickly back on that, do you think that the fact that this fellow, your your mate, mm -hmm. was physically going through those 300 things on the plane, it's just always stuck in my mind, 300 invoices, do you think that's more around the fact that he is like, you know, likes to be, con like control everything or do you think that's just actually what really needs to happen in a company even of that size is like he really needs to be pulling the trigger at the end or he's the last point that actually releases the money? And there's no real way around that. There's no real way around that. Yeah, okay. he's, he's the last point. Yeah. 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 Even when I was working back uh, for yeah, larger companies, you know, I'd be preparing that and sending it off to the managing director. Okay. And it's not that he would know every single or, or to the CFO or or yeah, to to a particular person that would release those funds. It's not that they're going to know every single invoice, but they're just going to ask questions regarding particular invoices. They might just do a sample. Mm. So they might pick out ten invoice out of the hundred. And they just might ask some questions about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, usually my job was to actually convey what was going on with those invoices or go find some more information. Mm -hmm. It was just another sanity check to kind of just stop um, stop any fraud occurring. Yep. When you've got 400 staff on your books, it's, mm. you know, it's easy for rats and mice to kind of do things. Yeah. So you just want to kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep an eye on you. 100%. Um. This is a very, very, I guess, basic question from guys starting out is um, at what point would you look f like to have an accountant first going to H&R Block? You know, this is actually some of the questions that are legit that guys are worried about. This one came from Luke. So it's a good question. Look, H&R Block do a great job for mum and dad sort of tax returns. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's what they specialise in. And most accountants that you're going to come across specialise more in dealing with businesses, or they should, um, because that's that's where the complexities start to come into to play. Yeah. When you're actually running a business and trying to optimise um, your, your personal situation and the business situation, the two different sort of arms, like as a sole trader, whatever profit you make, you're going to get taxed on. Mm -hmm. That's the strategy. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need to talk to me. Yeah, it's uh, it, I can't add a lot of value to that. Yeah, it's when you start to get into a bigger level with more complexity, more risk, and uh, you've got more things going on. That that's you know that's where you want your personal situation kind of explored, so that it's actually you, you understand what's going on, mm -hmm. and then you've got someone which actually understands your situation as well to to be able to help you throughout you know, whatever your journey is going to look like. Yeah, and that's, I reckon that's another misconception that's on numero uno for that is like, I always just keep thinking to myself like, there's got to be a way to have to pay this much tax. But, you know, <laughs> and you always just say to me, mate, if you make money, like there's only so much you can do. Like, there's only so much you tax. can do. If, you, if you're paying tax, you're doing well. Yeah. So you want to be paying some tax because it means you're doing well. Because I think that there's a misconception that like, the more the better. Big companies are, got that many crazy like um structures going they don't pay any tax or something you know i think that triple trips down from like the googles of the world and whatever yeah, yeah they all pay we can't get away from that can we like if you the googles of the world pay too much the big four to get around to certain things which i've never been a big fan of uh, you know you look at your google invoice it's coming from singapore island and you know the, the money's leaving the country Mm -hmm. uh, but the vast majority of countries, which, uh, companies which are operating here, you know, they pay their their taxes. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of ill-conceived. Some of the arguments which get made on in the media about that, you know, they're avoiding paying taxes. Some heavy industries, you know, that you look at the BHPs of the world, you know, um, to develop a mine is going to cost a few billion dollars. There's a lot of heavy equipment. There's a lot of capital assets which need to 
to be invested in. They're mm -hmm. going to have some losses, yeah, which they might be able to offset. But nowadays, they've used up all the losses and to paying massive taxes, massive dividends to to investors, and mm -hmm. yeah, it's more like yeah, those tech companies which are probably screwing the screwing the country. Yeah, we we sort of spoke about this before, but it, you know, I've, I've spoke to my friend who owns a big um was a partner in that big uh, liquidating firm, and he was saying that the ATO is suddenly chasing a lot of like directors now whereas yeah. they weren't before is that something you're seeing yeah definitely i'm seeing a lot more activity payment plans are getting a lot harder to actually get across the line um, okay i tend to the advice which i give to a lot of business owners at the moment there is you know if you're really struggling you're better off uh calling the ato yourself because they're going to be a lot bit more lenient dealing directly with the owner mm -hmm. or you know one of the owner staff um because uh, they traditionally just want to hear from you guys yep. uh, when an account gets involved obviously we're, we're still going to talk to them and try and put our best foot forward but it's not going to be as easy on a, for us to be able to get you more favorable terms mm -hmm. so you reckon they've really tightened the leash in that respect in chasing yes and well, now there's it... a bit more of an approval process we used to be able to get remissions relatively easily in terms of interest and penalties now it's so it has to go through an approval level okay what is a director's notice is that what it's called? Director's notice? DPN, yeah, director's penalty notice. It's okay. uh, when you, you've been late in lodging and then you haven't really made any effort in terms of paying down your debts. Mm -hmm. what, um, what it does is if you're operating through an entity, it changes uh, the legality of that structure and makes you personally responsible for the debts. So yep. you're, you're, you've essentially uh... destroyed having a company structure or trust structure or whatever it might be. And you've been made personally liable for GST debt, hazy guide debt, really, or, or the income tax debt, whatever it is. Okay. And and they weren't really ch they weren't really chasing this stuff during the COVID period. That's like, no, nothing was being issued. Like bang, like yeah, nothing was being issued during COVID. It was three years of peace and quiet. What do you think is what do you think has caused that trigger to sort of be pulled that they're suddenly like, no, nah, when you bang, let's go for it. I believe there's about fifty billion dollars worth of tax debt outstanding to the ATR at the moment. Okay, uh, that will do it. I was reading something <laughs> in the Fin Review that was like five billion of it was to do with some sort of TikTok scam where people were claiming GST refunds okay. for expenses which they never incurred. That's right. For, yeah, first time I kind of read about it, I'm like, this is like the dumbest sort of scheme that you could be running, claiming GST refunds for costs which you never incurred. Mm. Like, that's like, <laughs> it's just stupid. <laughs> You're going to have to pay it back. This might be hard to answer because you'll be biased, but <laughs> what, what would you say to a fellas? Like, what do you look for in an accountant? Because that's, that's a legit question. A lot of these guys, you know, including myself would be like, okay, I'm at the point where I need an accountant. Where do I find one? Who do I look for? What, who's going to, you know what I mean? Do you have any advice around that for? Uh, for most people, referrals. T talk to your friends, ask them. Yep. Who, you, who would you recommend mm -hmm. if they're recommending the same people? then you should probably go with them. Do you think from a trade point of view, there's people that more operate, you know, specialize, accountants specialize in areas like tradies or anything, or is it just all pretty general? Yeah, I, I kind of don't agree with the kind of specialist thing. I, I kind of, you're better off covering a number of different industries because you kind of get broader exposure to what everybody else is doing rather than just being like purely trades. Mm. Um, you know, I've got a variety of different industries. Sure, yeah, a lot of it's still construction, manufacturing, you know, trades. Uh, but then I've got software companies. I've spent a lot of time in startup land. Um, I used to be um, CFO of a company called Innovise where we were commercialising new technologies. Yep. I've list a couple of companies on the ASX. Like, you know, it's, you kind of want a broader experience because that kind of – obviously I'm biased. Uh, but you kind of yeah. look at the world a little bit differently where it's not just a single option mm -hmm. of like, oh, yeah, this is what you do. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, 100%. That probably comes down to why you so one of the reasons why you're really good with the hectic strategies. Mm. I mean, but you say they're not hectic, but I feel like <laughs> they're hectic for me. I do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's, this one's coming from a guy who's a really good operator, Clint. I was on his, I was on his podcast the other week. So he's, he's written here, what's your key metrics you look at? I'm interested to know your wages as a percent of GP. It's something I've been researching since my, since my recent trip to the USA. Wages as a like, as a reporting on wages as a percent of GP depends on the business industry. Like every every industry will have a function on different metrics. The, one of the easiest ones, which I always tend to look at, is uh, gross profit margins. Mm -hmm. So you know you always want 
a, probably at least a 30% margin because okay. yeah. it's pretty difficult to operate a business if you're running below that. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, one of the other key ones is labor utilization. If you're running below 70%, you're going to have problems. What does that mean? Can you expand on what labor utilization means? So in terms of if you're in the kind of like a service sector, if you're billing people's time out, if they're not 70% productive, you're probably burning okay. money. Yep. Or you're not going to be profitable. Okay. Um, so just, you know, broad, two broad numbers, which I always look yeah, for. Yeah, so that might, that's actually maybe a good thing to think is if people have multiple, you know, 20 or 30 staff or whatever, that might be a good report to bring up like mm. to know like, okay, when do I need to hire someone? When do I need to fire someone? In a way like... Yeah. If they're getting below that 70% across the board, you might need to be, oh, I need to remove someone from that. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. It, it depends on the, again, it depends on the business and what you're trying to achieve, scale cost money. So yeah. you may yeah. have some more admin, you may have some more admin people to kind of support what's happening up above. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why you know, it's having a conversation as to what's actually happening at the top line with your revenues and what's actually happening with the, the variable component of your revenues in terms of cost of sales. Yep. Um, if if that's looking a little bit weird and you're not making enough gross margin across the business, then mm-hmm. how are you going to support the fixed overheads? Mm-hmm. And the fixed overheads are all your kind of operating costs in terms of rent, admin overhead, you know, the cost of doing business in terms of licensing and all the other bits and pieces yeah. and then your own wage yeah. or your own drawings uh, depending on how you're structured. So it's, it's getting that interplay correct. Because mm, I think that's one thing people don't often realise as well, including myself a while ago, is like, you know, you've got to consider that your operations manager or your, at, you know, your plumbing supervisor who sits in the office all day and doesn't directly go and make that's money, right. that's actually an overhead. Like, yep. that's a business operating expense, isn't it? Yeah, so it is. Can, because they're not billable. Yeah, they're not billable. Like, they're not producing any revenue. Yeah. Um, so that's a way to look at it, isn't it? Any, anyone in the business who's not directly producing revenue is actually a business overhead or to be looked at as a business overhead, would you say that? Or... Yeah, that's the way I look at it because it means that your gross margin needs to be able to recover that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're, they're not producing it, like they're not billing anything, so mm-hmm. your margin need to be able to cover that wage every single month. Mm. Uh, if you're not, well, you know, you're going backwards. That's one thing I've personally stru- uh, struggled with a bit in this business. We've spoken about it, I suppose, is like, mm. yeah, like growth scale costs money and like you do get to a point where you, to, to grow, you can be really, really top-heavy and you actually can it can ebb and flow a lot like you're actually not making any money because you suddenly got a really big overhead because you want to springboard to the next point and you can't do that physically without um having that you know admin level of stuff to even get you there that's right you know so it's a bit like oh i'm making a lot of money i can hire the and then it's like oh god i've got so many people yeah but but it's acknowledging that that. there's nothing wrong with it as long as you acknowledge and kind of go like well that's part of the growth journey i want to step off the tools and i need to hire a general manager which is going to cost me x well yeah your profitability is going to go down because you're not working anymore and you've added another overhead Mm. and you know your job is then to bring in more work because all you can really then affect is the top line Mm -hmm. and if you get more top line and your margins are correct then you'll be able to recover those costs and you'll be able to start to scale further and further out of the business and it then turns more into you know a bit more of a machine yeah uh, rather than it being kind of like you're constantly in it and having to fight fights every single day Mm -hmm. so that's why scale always costs money and you're just gonna kind of go like well you're better off I always find that you're better off reinvesting back in your business. You're going to make more money out of that than putting it into shares. Mm. You know, what are you going to make out of shares? 10, 20% maybe? Yeah. Business, you're going to make 30, 40% returns mm. if you're continually, you know, finding those little angles or scaling your way out or trying to create something which is it's, uh, sellable mm-hmm. as well. That, like, yeah, that's a good, important lesson as well. Is like, yeah, when you're putting money back into your business, you have to look at it like it is an, it's an investment. Yeah. You yeah. could be putting that money like buying a car or buying shares or whatever, but also spending it back in doesn't feel as sexy because you're not removing it and buying something else that, you know, getting a receipt for it. But you're like, that is an investment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, massively. can be a really good return on investment if you operate well. Yeah. Especially if you get off the tools and you're not having to do the work anymore and Mm. you've got a good GM and, you know, life is good. Yeah. A fella asked me this question. What's your ruling on fringe benefits? Got a few boys... Utes and trucks. This always tried to steer clear of it, but want to know of people that have made have it in place and make it simple to work out. 
I don't know if that actually, does that question make sense? Fringe benefits is never easy. It's tax, which I think most accountants hate dealing with because uh, it's complex. It's a slightly different accounting period because it's from 1st of April to 31st of March and there's complex, a lot of complexities around it. And it's trying to navigate those complexities. You know, you look at client gifts or client entertainment or in meals uh, which occur at the office, you know, the, there's ways and means of kind of structuring that so that you actually get the tax deduction for it. Mm -hmm. Even with motor vehicles, I tend to always approach it from an operating uh, operating method perspective rather than statutory. statutory. Uh, so there's different ways of calculating it, and it's not uh, it's not straightforward. I yeah. wish it was. It's probably the more most complex tax that we have to deal with within this ecosystem. Okay. Best place for someone to learn all the ins and outs of starting a business in terms of bookwork and accounting when starting their own plumbing business uh, or any trade business? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, that, is, that is a bloody hard. That is a good question, actually. In, in terms of, I would say zero has got a lot of really good videos in terms of how to actually drive the accounting software. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they've got like a bit of a university which you can kind of go through to, to kind of teach you the, the high level sort of concepts of what actually goes on yeah you know pretty much 95 percent of people nowadays use zero um do they yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh you don't see too many people using myob anymore myob is really good in terms of inventory management and complexities around that the rest of it it's yeah it, it does what it does okay because gonna one of the questions i was going to ask you is like differences in accounting packages that's a massive question i always get is like do i go myob do i go zero do i go Friggin' QuickBooks, like recommendation is zero because the majority of time, you know, I could do a crash course for someone in half an hour and they get most of the concepts. Mm -hmm. I can't really do that with most other accounting packages. Like, you know, when I first started out, most of there wasn't zero, and you'd have to spend at least a day with someone to train them on how to use MIOB. Yep, and it's just like that's fucking long time mm. and that software wasn't built in an intuitive way that anyone can kind of pick it up and drive it yeah so things have come a long way now and yeah it's great you know you can kind of do your own book bookkeeping or book work mm -hmm. and you can drive it yourself so zero all right um he's written keen to hear about tax write-offs for personal driven vehicles while at a company Person, can you read Sorry, that question again, keen, William? We'll do that. I'm keen to hear about tax write-offs for a personal-driven vehicle while at a company. So I'm guessing maybe he's saying that he oh. drives his car around yep. and is off his own back to jobs. Oh, uh, you, you would probably claim that as a kilometer uh, kilometer rate. So the ATO provides up to five thousand kilometers with uh, you know a reasonable kind of um, substantiation, mm -hmm. and that you can use that for personal use. Uh, otherwise, you would need to kind of go through, down the logbook method of uh, substantiation, which is a lot heavier. Yeah. Uh, so you'd need to keep a 12-week or 16-week logbook, and then you'd work, figure out what your percentage is, and then you'd times it out by the cost that you're incurring. Okay. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> All right, I'll, read you, I'll read you the actual the actual conversation we've had. Can haircuts be tax deduction? No. And then I wrote, you wrote, does my head... Does my head in and no one can give me a direct answer? And I wrote, so this is a serious question. Wrote, yeah, man, I want my haircuts as a tax deduction. I'll take everything. And if I need a haircut to look presentable at work, it should be a tax deduction. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's, there's literally rulings on that one. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Don't push it. Um, this one, we've covered it. How do I pay zero tax is another question I've got. <laughs> Don't make any money. Yeah, <laughs> so simple. anything under probably about twenty three grand, you're not going to be paying any tax. Okay, so just make make less than the minimum wage, and you won't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> as a, I've got another one here. As this is from Perla Plumbing. As a sole trader, mm -hmm. and my office is my rented apartment, and storage is my undercover car space. Do I have any way of deducting any rent, power, or internet as a business expense? Yeah, you do. There's a floor area calculation that you can do based on how you're using the, the space uh, that's accepted by the ATO. So you would need to get a floor layout, figure out what you're actually using, and you can times that out by your rent. Okay. That's it, man. Thank you. Really Easy. appreciate your time. Um, 
Next time you come on, I'm going to have some really difficult questions. <laughs> I, I, I like the one, how do I pay zero tax? <laughs> That's what everyone wants to know, man. Yeah. Well, everyone thinks, yeah, Google pays zero tax. And oh, they still they? pay tax. They still pay, they tax. still pay tax. That's a very common thing everyone thinks. It's, like... it's gotten better. It used to be kind of a complete rot, which they were doing, but yeah, they have tightened up on it. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of, it's still a bit weird that, uh, you know, they make billions off of us and it goes off to Singapore or somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Mate, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no worries. Pleasure. Thank you so much. See ya. Sweet. Thanks, bro. Thanks for tuning in to another Plumify podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the usual podcast platforms. Mm-hmm.